Welcome to the Atheist Nun channel, a show aimed to inspire readers to cherish the most meaningful moments found in life by learning about secular morality. Subscribe for more content on aspects of my business and writing life, as well as topics concerning ethics, mid-19th century living, etiquette, and much more. I have said before and will continue to say that the less you focus on reality, the more compounded your problems become. The police are familiar with what is called victimization risk, which is when an individual is engaged in lifestyle choices that may lead to a higher likelihood of a crime being committed on that person. For example, when an individual works as a prostitute and walks the street alone at night looking for customers, they are engaging in activities where there is a high victimization risk to them. It is not blaming the victim, but understanding the reality of that person's choices. What comes with being aware of reality and surviving another day as a human being is a code of rational ethics. Therefore, that prostitute should lower her risk by going out with a buddy at night or leaving the business entirely in search of a new, less risky line of work. Their chances of surviving another day increase when mitigating and rational actions are taken. An individual who locks their doors at night is engaging in low victimization risk behavior and therefore making the rational moral choice. We must use this type of moral judgment properly based on a person's actions. I believe that is what is attracting so many people nowadays to Dr. Grande's YouTube channel. He is a mental health counselor who has taken an interest in analyzing criminal cases and their outcomes. He looks at each context like a rational juror and tries to make sense of the seemingly senseless violence a person commits. It is not just another true crime channel, but one where the why that everyone so longs for is answered to the best of his ability. We should all aspire to understand people in the way Dr. Grande does, because we certainly all have the capacity to understand empathize and analyze each other's actions through moral judgment. In fact, I believe that more people could prevent crimes if they only knew how to judge a person's actions properly, because unfortunately, by the time the law intervenes, they can only look at the actions of a person after their morality has thoroughly disintegrated. I believe it is often too late to change a person once they have committed a serious crime. They needed moral guidance or help long before they thought of committing any kind of wrongdoing. As a bit of an aside, the writer Dostoevsky has one of his characters from the Brothers Karamazov say that if God does not exist, then everything is permitted. He believed atheists would murder without a second thought, unlike his conscience-stricken Raskolnikov character in Crime and Punishment, who finds God in the end. But this is entirely false. This abstract thing we call conscience is what keeps us from crossing the line in ethics between good and evil. We would all feel as guilty as Raskolnikov for killing a person with or without God. Our desire to survive and thrive keeps us from murdering each other. A rational morality keeps us from destruction. 
It is in this spirit of moral judgment and admiration for Dr. Grande's work that I am presenting an essay I wrote the day after Elliot Roger on May 23, 2014, killed six people and injured 14 others. He shot, stabbed, and ran over with his vehicle as many people as he could find in what would later be named the 2014 Isla Vista killings forever labeling him as an infamous mass murderer. He left a YouTube video of his own titled Elliot Rogers' Retribution and a long manifesto called My Twisted World, The Story of Elliot Roger, both of which I have seen and read and have linked down in the description section. And so without further ado, my thoughts on the California mass murderer, Elliot Roger. Note, this article is not meant to sympathize or place the predator's life above those of the victims. To all of those involved in this tragedy, I hope that this psychological look into the murderer's past will prevent instances of this happening again in the future. The first thing I dared to watch was Elliot Rogers' final video. In it, he struck me as just a kid trying to build himself up as a tragic anti-hero. He was lost in a story concocted by his own mind, and that was what made me want to research this horrific tragedy. Since that final video, I have read the 140-page long manifesto and watched the other YouTube videos he had posted before the final one. These were all highly disturbing, and I think that many of my conclusions do not include the fact that he did have Asperger's Syndrome. Asperger's Syndrome is clear here with his unusual facial expressions, his difficulty socializing, and his apparent lack of empathy. However, that does not excuse his violent outburst on the evening of May 23, 2014. The philosopher Hannah Arendt wrote about the Eichmann trial that occurred in the 1960s. Eichmann was hired by the Nazi party in Germany, and he was given the task of deporting all of the Jews. He sent hundreds of thousands of Jews to their deaths. People called him evil and a villain, but once Arendt began studying this wrinkled, pathetic old man, she coined the phrase banality of evil. This phrase meant that Eichmann was really just a dumb, dependent, title-obsessive man. He was a cog in the machine, but a deadly one. Eichmann did not think that he was responsible because he truly believed that he was just following orders. Arendt believed that this weasel was telling the truth. Therefore, at the time, she did not believe that people were radically evil, that they were not born evil. After researching this case, I have come to the conclusion that this was a broken boy. He lived his life on a sixth grade loop, which continuously played until he went to stop it by force. Even his manifesto is written at about the sixth grade level, albeit with a few new vocabulary words included toward the end. But his ideas are especially childish. He was given everything, and when he wasn't, he would have temper tantrums. Elliot Roger was an irrationally selfish, materialistic, dependent child. If any of you have ever read Ayn Rand's novel The Fountainhead, this child was a real Peter Keating. He built up absolutely no self-esteem whatsoever, and therefore his ego, the I part of him, was non-existent. This set him up for disaster. He blames his parents for this, and so do I. Parents are the most influential beings that a person can have. They tend to make or break the future adult. These parents did not give him a set of moral values to live by, and religion does not even need to factor in here. 
Learning philosophy is invaluable because it makes you question and reassess all of your most basic premises. You think logically and fix any emotionalist responses to rational concepts. This child needed a philosophy lesson badly. Elliot Roger emphasizes how much he was living in the moment and so thoroughly enjoyed his childhood that when he was rejected by the outside world, he threw yet another tantrum, this time with tragic consequences. This could have been prevented had he been raised right not by several nannies and several new houses, regardless of his Asperger's syndrome. This behavior was chosen. This is not an issue concerning his Asperger's, although a symptom can be obsessive behavior like the one he had toward objects, women, and difficulty socializing. But that cannot cause violence, and his premises were all wrong. The violence stemmed from a lack of knowledge. This is what Hannah Arendt and Ayn Rand meant when they both wrote about how evil occurs. It happens when people become irreparably broken. It happens when parents neglect their children emotionally and do not teach them about virtue. It happens when they are given everything up until they hit the real world, where they have to fight for survival. Capitalism forces men to prove themselves. It is the ultimate alpha male system, which this child could not win, and so he tried to take it away from others. Again, for those of you familiar with Ayn Rand's character Peter Keating, Peter quickly worked his way up the career ladder by stealing, looting, robbing other people and passing their work off as his own. He was labeled a second-hander who took from the first-handers or else he would throw tantrums similar to Roger's. In the beginning, he is hailed as the best architect in the country, but by the end, he is a miserable, broken, and evil man. This is the story of Elliot Roger, who laughs at the irony of the world and feels holier than thou without any reasons to back up his premises. But do not call this child a madman. He was a person robbed of morals. A madman is someone who is incomprehensible, someone who cannot go from point A to point B. That is a madman. This is someone who grew up in a surprisingly ordinary way, besides having a famous father. He talks about movies that all kids from the 90s have seen and video games that we've all played at some point. And even his concerns in middle school were shared by many other lonely kids at the time, myself included. But we saw ourselves as better than those who were considered popular. We had our set of values and we strived to achieve success while the popular kids tended to fail. We grew up and moved on, allowing ourselves only to find better, more worthy people to include in our lives. But this child got caught in it and would not budge until he got his way. I wanted to live in a world of fairness. That is the common creed of the communists and socialists of our age. And that is exactly the creed that Elliot Roger grew up living with. But that does not bring happiness. For material objects are not the ends, they are the products of a person's labor. Labor is the means to get to happiness or living a good life, if it is honest work, of course. But this boy was never taught that he had to work for his possessions. Roger then goes on and on for 40 pages in his manifesto about video games. This has been a controversial topic in many of these violent tragedies, 
but video games in particular seem to have destroyed many young people. However, I think it is important to note that his feelings began before ever playing a video game. But his situation grew exponentially worse when he was pretty much given free reign with these games during his adolescence. Parents need to watch what their kids are playing, watching, reading, and listening to because there is so much garbage out there today. In fact, in his manifesto, Roger used video games as a way to fight the reality that he was facing. He used World of Warcraft as inspiration for his ideas of a war on women. Elliot Roger blurred games with real life because he was never taught the difference. Elliot frequently uses the words little, obsessed, weak, worthless, and starved as terms of describing himself and his mental state. The kid never learned how to live on his own. He was never allowed to become self-reliant. He was extremely sheltered. The more lonely I felt, the more angry I became, he writes at one point. This is a typical feeling that evil characters feel before they lash out at the world. He was living a fantasy storyline of his own. Like when he wrote, if I can't have it, I will destroy it. After that, sex became a negative thing for him, and by 17, he wanted to outlaw sex. This means that for six years, he had been planning and plotting a way to seek revenge on others. There was no real instance where he became a madman, but a slow progression of events that were laid down on a boy without any moral guidance or principles. On his forced plane trip to Morocco, Roger decided that he wanted to die. That is the moment where he lost hope because he was never allowed to have any control over his life. He did not have any agency, no ego, no self-esteem, and this led him to the radical state that he worked himself up to in his 20s. Movies and video games surrounded this kid, and he lived in a fantasy realm for most of his life. And Sumeya his mother, seemed to be the only adult capable of trying to teach Roger something, albeit in the least effective way. Then, in his mid-teens, he turned to books instead of thinking about his future and getting a job. These books provided him with the anti-hero type of mindset that he had always wanted, and he amateurishly clung to them. By page 66 of Roger's manifesto, he begins using terms like destiny and injustice to prove that he was made by some creator to right all the unfairness that happened to him in the world. The amount of hate that he had for others was very high when he was only 18. He says at one point in his manifesto, I am an intellectual who is destined for greatness. I would never perform a low-class service job. But that is exactly the problem. A true intellectual or great man, as Aristotle discusses in depth, does not change based on external forces. The great man cares for a few things that bring happiness, eudaimonia, to his life, and the rest is irrelevant. He has a proportionate amount of self-confidence, and he quietly respects himself for the virtues that he has learned over the years. This sentence is yet another temper tantrum, only in adult form, but it renders him more of a child than anything. Elliot Roger was not an intellectual, but a bitter fool, a frustrated and miserable Peter Keating archetype due to his parents' neglect. Roger repeatedly asked his mother 
and later on several more occasions, to sacrifice her well-being for the sake of his own happiness by marrying another rich man. Elliot's hope was only reignited when he thought that some base exterior change could fix all of his moral problems, only to be dismayed once again, and again, and again. This child calls his mother selfish for not remarrying into a rich family, when what he really is saying is that she is not sacrificing herself for his needs. She is not giving up her life for him. She is not being altruistic, because that is a vice. Read Ayn Rand's The Virtue of Selfishness for more. And yet, his selfish mother continued to support him and told him he had a talent for writing. But his motive from the beginning was to get rich quick off his bestseller books, and then maybe girls would like him. This motivation never works. He didn't even mention that perhaps some girl would like him for his talent to produce something of his own proving just how lost he was. Elliot considered himself to be talentless and fervently refused to work or produce anything at all that would have given him some kind of value. Roger continues to write in his manifesto that he deserves things, when in reality he does not. Roger did not earn nor try to earn a single thing in his life. He was never taught that money could not solve his problems. Money is merely another reward for the productive, creative thoughts that you make, but nothing more. Roger looked to rewards as ends in themselves. Money, girls, fame. This kid never took the responsibility into his own hands of actually trying to change his life. He would pray to the stars and the universe, but never to himself and his own self-esteem. Roger did not understand that money cannot replace moral values. Every time that he actively tried to change his life, he would never approach a girl or try to communicate with her. He made continual excuses due to his extremely low level of self-esteem. This isolated him further, not to mention looking for those bright and intelligent girls in all the wrong places. He writes at one point, I was a ghost. Little did he know that he had died morally way before any of this took place. He blamed society, not himself, for denying him pleasure. What a skewed view of reality is that? Roger had to try to open himself up to new experiences. If people aren't worth your time, usually the popular kids, then don't even bat an eyelash at them. Focus on the positives. Currently in the media, he is being called racist, sexist, entitled, elitist, spoiled, and these labels are true. He had attacked groups because he lacked an ego of his own. He was shaped by groups himself. He didn't know what being an individual entails. Roger may have said to himself that he was special, but he didn't really know what he was, besides what others said of him. Elliot Roger was an altruist, a self-loathing looter who lived with an anti-life mentality, for by actively rejecting sex, he accepted death. He could not be fixed after he grew up without any value-based foundations. By page 87 of the manifesto, Roger openly declares that he believed he could kill another man. He had prepared himself mentally and truly felt worthless at this point. You see, there was no snap in his mental state. Roger had been boiling over since his temper tantrums at the age of three. This child never grew up and could not handle living alone. 
His parents are to blame just as much as he himself is to be blamed. He was so completely self-absorbed without having a real self. I have heard people use the term narcissist, which may be co the correct term because it has such a negative connotation with it. However, rational selfishness is not a bad thing, according to Ayn Rand. Again, read The Virtue of Selfishness. There is an important distinction to be made between those who do things to promote their own happiness and those who are hurting others in order to obtain some identified fantasy. On page 101 of Eliot's manifesto, he mentions explicitly that he wanted revenge. At the age of 20, Eliot Roger declared that he was done with hope and expecting things to change. He understood that he was living in a vicious cycle, but he didn't understand why. It is here that he also begins talking about his day of retribution. He had been slowly concocting this plan for over a year. This was premeditated mass murder. Someone at any point could have stopped this, especially his parents. Yes, his parents did hire a few psychiatrists toward the end, according to Elliot, but it was already too late. His plan was already in action. Roger notes that at first he felt sick at the thought of holding a gun and possibly using it in his plan, which means that he had a conscience. By page 109 of the manifesto, he decided to plan out a mass murder. He felt compelled to do it because he was so focused on himself and what his world led him to. Roger did not care about the world outside of his own narrative, he never mentions 9-11 or the war in Iraq, and that was a major mistake. Roger did not have a twisted world, but a twisted logic. He thought that point A, money, would lead him to point B, girls, which would equal point C, peaceful revenge. If that line of thought did not work out, then he was a worthless outcast and a loser, which could only equate to violent revenge in his mind. There is a particularly female-hating passage on page 117 of Eliot's Manifesto where he comes up with this original idea that women are like a plague that needs to be controlled and quarantined. This is where many people say that he is a misogynistic psychopath. However, he seems to be placing all of his frustration on females, even though he seemed to have a pretty good track record with his grandmothers and mother. He was venting his hatred for all of humanity onto a particular group, and once again, just as Hitler did with the Jews, it's called selecting a scapegoat. Roger believed that his act would cause some tremendous change, but it didn't. Instead, his case was added to the growing pile of an increasing problem concerning mass murderers in this country. He was not philosophically learned or intelligent to any degree because the first thing that educated people do is think rationally. But Elliot Roger behaved in exactly the same way that he claimed girls were behaving irrationally. One important idea that should be pointed out is the religious own undertones that his manifesto espouses. He wanted to play God, but also referred to the sex that people had as heavenly and that he was living in hell. Although he doesn't seem to be very religious, this Judeo-Christian view of the world was ingrained in his perspective of it. Eliot claims toward the end of his manifesto that he never lost that last flicker of hope. He thought that in some miraculous way he could be saved, 
but it was all too late without him even realizing it. Give me, give me, give me, was this child's war cry. It was just another tantrum, but it hurt so many. Roger felt entitled, as many people have been stating. He was not a madman, but a kid who grew up without any values, and after a series of circular events, he concluded that man is evil. His last straw was in Santa Barbara. Elliot Roger professed himself as a god and as the good guy and wrote that, finally, at long last, I can show the world my true worth as the last line in his manifesto. But the thing is, he never had any worth. Thanks for joining me this month on the Atheist Nun channel. If you found value in the show, please like it, subscribe to my channel, and consider supporting me on AmericanWordsmith.com, where you can buy my novels. The Paper Pusher, The Dormant Age, A Man of Silence, and A Man of Action. Be sure to tune in next month for a new episode. Take care.